Come with me, friends, on the voyage we call I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast, featuring the open-minded musics of two mid-40s curmudgeons staring at the prospect of entertainment relevance. I am your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, which is a disreputable daycare. And I'm joined, as always, by my good friend. You are the one daycare that actually was satanic back in the 80s. It was a panic, but you know? for a good reason. Yeah, you're right. Right. Like, there was that panic, and all it was totally blown up with the one exception of your daycare which actually was beating giraffes to death in secret tunnels beneath the daycare and you didn't get caught which is what what's amazing yeah no we installed uh asbestos so the place would be flame retardant exactly exactly and the statute of limitations has run out on beating giraffes to death and uh you know installing asbestos so so you're good you're in the clear man it's an american tradition by the way who are american tradition oh i'm noah tarno i'm uh who the hell am I anymore? Uh, isn't that the eternal question? I'm the founder and senior quiz master of The Big Quiz Thing, uh, the trivia game show Spectacular, America's premier provider of corporate and private trivia events and political trivia fundraisers in this month of October 2020. So Noah, I got a, uh, I got a Latin word for you. I want to see yes. what the significance of this Latin word is for you. What if yes. I said sesquicentennial? Yep. 150 years, 150th anniversary. Yes, what would is that, that right mean to you? Yes, it is. It is correct. Yes, it would mean celebrating something that if it's happening now that happened in 1870. Yes, so I'm trying to think if I could, if I could think of anything that was happening in 1870. Ulysses S. Grant was president. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. They were were they still building the railroad? They no, must have been. they have made. We've made one episode of this podcast every year since 1870. This is oh, our, that's right. Yes, this, this is, is our, not our set. No. Uh, this is not our sesquicentennial. See, that pisses me off. I hear people say, oh, it's the 200th episode. It's our 200th anniversary episode. No, it's not. You did not start this in 1820. Well, we, we did come. It was a long time ago. We we got our first daguerreotypes, and we put them up on the proto-Friendster back then. Right. So, yes, we are at 150. Friendster is that old. Folks. It is that old. It was called Acquaintancester back then. Uh, this is all a very complicated way of saying this is our not sesquicentennial edition of the show but 150th episode of i don't get it the pop 150th it the anniversary like i All like right. to say <laughs> no. yes congratulations congratulations <laughs> on the accomplishment not congratulations on your misuse of the english language <laughs> and uh noah for this occasion we are uh biting off a big piece of culture today which to be honest this, this topic when i first uh talked about doing it it was a lot hotter than it is right now uh, considering we're talking about yet another television show, uh, just as we did last week, this is a buzzy, or at least a at one point it was buzzier than it is now, an HBO series. It's got that Sunday at nine time slot, which is always the coveted. Sp- yeah, coveted. The kind of king making time slot, which some of the most some of the biggest prime movers in modern prestige TV have occupied that spot. And this is currently the. Uh, I guess it was late summer into early autumn occupier is Lovecraft Country uh, on that HBO Sunday at 9 thing. And so, like I said, I pitched this at the beginning and I said, well, why just tackle this sometime midstream where we can talk about it on the on the uh, eve of its finale, its, its season one finale, 10 episodes. So the, the caveat is, is that it's airing tonight. Uh, for me, it's going to be at like 
you know, four in the morning. So we're not actually going to talk about the whole season and how it ended. But we're going to talk. Well, also because I've only watched five episodes. Right. I I haven't watched them all either. But (laughs) this is not going to go. We're not going to talk about 10 comprehensive issues. We we did want this to be, you know, ready on Monday morning for the East Coast audience to pick up because, you know, I'm sure there'll be some buzz about it, regardless of what it's going to wind up being. Um, Yeah. So this is our chance to talk about it. So. For those of you who are either not stealing HBO from my personal password, as I've given out to most of the Eastern Seaboard. Including me. Including Noah Tarno, exactly. Lovecraft Country is the HBO uh, horror drama, I guess you can call it, about a family of adventurers. A drawer, they call it. A drawer. A drawer. Yeah. Uh, A family of Uh, adventurers. uh, A harma. A hama. A hama. A hama. A A harma. Harma. Very good. A drummer. They're a bunch of adventurers, a family of African-American adventurers from 1950 Chicago who get tangled up in, as I can only describe, as an eldritch scheme. Eldritch. That, see, it's funny. I watched this in eldritch. That word came to mind. And I was thinking, I got to use the word eldritch during the podcast. And you beat me to it. Congratulations. Well, is it, isn't it specifically... Um, doesn't it refer to Lovecraft in particular? I, I don't even know what... Uh, to- you know, maybe subconsciously I've read it in reference to Lovecraft, but... No, it just means like eerie or spooky okay. magic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was like we both stumbled upon. I've that. heard it used in like comic books, like a yes. like a Jack Kirby demon comic. I'm I'm sure I read it. So. And uh, uh, Alan Moore as well loves things that are eldritch, as we all know. Yes. It's kind of kind of yes. his deal. So this show has heavy references to H.P. Lovecraft, uh, immortality, sorcery, science fiction, aliens, all this sort of stuff. Uh, are there aliens? Do they, aliens pop up later? Well, and I, I'm going to go by the, hope so. the, the very the first five minutes of the first episode had flying are there saucers. Aliens in the first. Oh, that's right. They, but that's a dream sequence. But yes, is, okay. I mean, is it because we don't? I'm not really sure. You know, yeah, it, we don't it, know. It, I guess. Yeah, we don't really. You know. really think Jackie Robinson is on a battlefield in the Korean War? Yeah, with a bat. Aliens. Smashing. I mean, alien. you never know on this show. I guess it's possible. That's what I'm saying. It's. An I interpreted that as a dream sequence. I did too, but then it makes references to it later. What was a dream and what is not a dream that yeah, I don't quite right, understand. I mean, you never know in this show. Yeah, but you see, all these elements we're talking about have this very strange postmodern, uh, jagged uh, juxtaposition with the fact that it's all in Jim Crow America, and that's why the business end of this is the fact that these are black people doing it. These, your family, are uh, people from Chicago who are traveling through the vagaries of Jim Crow America. So, well, sometimes they're traveling. A lot of it takes place in Chicago. Yeah, and, and but they also go to Artem and you know the sort of um, well, that's in Massachusetts. Redo. I mean, it makes the point that even still in the fifties, there was a shit ton of racism, not just in what we think of as the South. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I mean that's right. Yeah. This is the te- this is kind of the part of it. You could even yeah. say that oh, you know, it, what's what's scarier, you know, the real white racists of the Emmett yeah, Till yeah, era uh, or you know whatever it is that H.P. Lovecraft thought of it as in his right, quasi right, racist yes. De- book. Demon, where are the real demons? Right. The monster was the friends we made along the way, uh, as we say. <laughs> So uh, the, 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 the dramatis personae of this show, you get a couple of really buzzy actors. One of the smart things that HBO gets to do because they have such a great brand is hire these people either almost at the top of their ability or the moment before they peak and go on to do huge things. So you have a couple of actors here. Jonathan Majors, who was an alumna of Spike Lee movies, uh, is playing the lead character. Really? Yes. 
Um, and I, know, I only know him from the last Black Man in San Francisco, which was a very good film. And he was in, um, he yes, he was in that, and he also showed up in The Five Bloods. He, he had a big part in The oh, Five Bloods that I, came out. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. I got to see that. So he plays Atticus Freeman, who's kind of like your very rugged, very handsome, yeah. sturdy, you know, back. What is it called? A spine of steel, a steel iron backbone yeah, kind he, of guy. He he is. There's the episode I just watched. He's like freaking. Indiana Jones, yeah, kind of, yeah. Now he's superhero guy. He's yeah. he's he's built like a brick shit house. He's incredible, and he's a hell of an actor. As you know, Noah, he's been cast as Kang, uh, so far as we know. If you're going to believe, I, I didn't know that he's going to be Kang. I love that. Yes, well, in what an Avengers movie? Well, in the next cycle, they they they're kind of like that. It hasn't been officially announced, but it's all but confirmed that he's the guy who who the next cycle of these movies is pointing to. Um, which, yeah, which, by the way, I, people are saying that that is because Kang is a is a far a future relative of Reed Richards. They're saying that this is the way for Marvel to make Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four African American if they if they so choose because oh, you you could, you could play a lot of oh, yeah. I I gotta take offense at that. Yeah, the thing is Jewish. Yes, he is. I'm all for making more characters black, but don't take away one of the few prominent Jewish superheroes. Well, what, what if it was at least Mr. Fantastic and, you know, Reed Richards, if he was made African-American? That I could, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, fine. Make the other three black, but keep the thing orange and Jewish, please. I'm, I'm, you know what? I guarantee they'll hold on to that. I'm sure. Anyway, okay. so beyond him, you have... Another... Also, I'm sorry. I've said this before. I, I'll believe the next cycle of all these series... I don't think we've begin, begun to grapple with how much films and TV are going to be delayed because of corona. Yeah, of course. I, I think it's a possibility that half of the quote-unquote series that are still going on are done. I think it's entirely possible half of what we think are still going on are done. Yeah, I'm serious. Right. So no, I mean, that's... that's I, 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 I like the idea of Jonathan Majors as Kang, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, well, I think I think for sure they'll bring him in. It's just the, the question is what form will it take? If they make a damn movie, man. If they don't have to wait 10 years to reboot it. Well, either way. So either way. Anyway. Also, sorry. also in the show is a really buzzy actress named Journey Smollett. Uh, a very is, buzzy, attractive actress. Yeah, she's great. She's in she my was, opinion. She was a child actor. She was in yes. East Bayou, which I just saw recently, and uh, she yeah. was she wasn't she the token black friend on Full House? Uh, I believe so. I didn't watch Full House, but yes, I, I do so. think that was part of her, uh, sure her CV. Okay. So she yeah. plays uh, Letitia Lewis, who was also, uh, you know, a sort of rope swinging, uh, you know, spirit fighting kind of like monster running figure in the show. And she was she was in Birds of Prey. So she's got those comic book bonus. She was Black Canary. Too. Yeah, she was Black Canary. Which I find interesting that they made Black Canary a black woman. I, 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 I don't know, interesting or obvious why didn't someone think of that sooner right okay. and i didn't actually i didn't see that movie nor do i i didn't see it either not, okay. that's not for me and you got you know michael kelly williams who almost exclusively seems to work for hbo and it's a good relationship he plays uh jonathan major's character's dad a guy named montrose and in a way him being on the road is kind of the thing that sets them on these adventures because they're hunting his dad although that gets sorted out pretty quickly it's almost after four episodes yeah. the show is very episodic the episodes are like the main thrust of each episode seems like wrapped up at the end of the hour. Yeah, right. I and mean, there's there's subplots that kind of provide a thread, but like 
it almost feels like a little kind of anthology esque. In a yeah. Way. Well, that's that's. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna definitely get into that. But just right. just to close this out, like I get these these actors, blah blah blah. The the showrunner Courtney B Vance. Courtney B Vance. Courtney B Vance does not stick around for very long. Spoiler alert. He's well, one of my you never know. He's one Dead my, people come back on this show. It's true. They do. He's one of my favorite actors working today. He's doing incredible work. He's at the top of his game. Uh, it, great chemistry as the uncle. He's Montrose's brother. He's Atticus Freeman's father. Uh, uh, no, yes, he's uncle. Uncle. Um, Uncle George. Uncle George, right. Uh, so this is this is a show run by a woman named Misha Green who worked on Underground on, I forget which channel that was, uh, some channel that we don't get, but it was um, a, a African-American show based on the Underground Railroad. Um, and this is based on a novel of the same name written by a guy named Matt Ruff, who is a, I believe he's a New Yorker who worked in publishing for a while. Uh, ironically, no, I don't know if you knew this. The guy Matt Ruff is as white as white can be, and he wrote this sort mm. of um, piece of yeah. Matt Ruff sounds like a white guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for more prestige bona fides, this is executive produced by Jordan Peele. Although I'm not, I don't know for sure what he, other than putting his name on it, like what he had to. JJ Abrams is a producer too. Yeah, and I think I think those guys were like midwives. They kind of grandfathered it and got it on the on the air. I do think that you know the writers' room. And Misha Green and the guy, you know, Matt Ruff, I think that they probably were more the creatives on this. But I don't know. It's hard to tell because no one's really talked about the division of labor. So, Noah, you did indicate the form of it. I'm interested in, again, I don't I don't know what you knew about this before I pitched it and what, like, you've watched five episodes. I'm really interested in what you have to say about it. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I thought it was all right. Um, I mean, it's very well made. You know, the performances are mostly good. I think some of those actors are miscast. Um, I like Journey Smollett very much. I think she's a good actress. I think she's extremely attractive. But I don't know. Every time I look at a movie set in the past, I'm like, do they look like people in the 50s? And I just don't think she does. And um, some of the white characters is that woman, Abby Lee, who plays Christina, Christine. Mm-hmm. And man, she did, she is miscast. She, yeah. she's not a, even she's a bad a, actress. She's a model. I think I think I think she's, she's a model, but she looks like a twenty first century model. She's yeah. got a look that like I don't know. So that's she's, she's thin and drawn, and she's sure, and she's Australian. I mean, she, yeah. Again, she's smoking hot too, but she just doesn't look like someone in the fifties to me. No. I don't know. I don't no. know how to put that. But then again, she's a mystical figure, so maybe I'm applying the wrong logic here. Um, it's well acted. Um, you know, I don't think you really made as clear as is necessary that this is it's just as much about racism as it has about is it is, is about mysticism and magic and re, like the first episode there's no nothing supernatural to like the, the final act right yes it's pretty much just a grounded in real life story of racism in it starts he's traveling out of the south and he makes his way to chicago and then they make their way to massachusetts and everywhere they go and granted, my knee-jerk reaction is that racism was heavy-handed. But then again, you know, I don't know what life was really like for black people in the 50s. You know, I'm stunned that just stopping in a small town and going to a cafe, like, okay, I can believe they say, we don't want you here, and they're kicked out of the cafe. I'm stunned that literally as soon as they sit down, a car full of gun-toting rednecks come over to kill them. Like, that seemed a little much to me. But unfortunately, yeah. I'm sure that Who shit knows, did right? happen exactly. on occasion. Yeah. I, what what seemed more likely to me is like get out of here. We don't want you here, you know. And then a less kind word, and they leave and they move on, right? Um, so the racism is everywhere, and it actually struck me as a little heavy handed for what for what that's worth. Um, 
I also find the plots, while interesting and well shot and well done, predictable. I kind of guessed the big twists every time they happened. You know, I guessed that some kind of crazy Lovecraftian entity would save them from those racists at the end of episode one. I guessed, although I didn't guess the twist at the end of episode five, the one where we learn the truth about Christina. I'm kind of ashamed of myself that I didn't guess that. I don't want to give it away too much because mm. I was really shocked by it. But I, I guessed a lot of stuff. But it's interesting. Like, I love that I finished episode five. That was my favorite. It was about one of the black characters played by this woman. I don't know her name. She has a Nigerian name. She's apparently Nigerian. She's very good. She looks like my friend Kira Davis. It just kept distracting me. Uh, she basically, through some mysticism, she's able to make herself white temporarily. And she's living in two worlds, back and forth. I really like that. Um, so I like these plots. It's just I kind of see what's coming. It kind of seems overdramatic at points when when Uncle George dies, the way uh, Tick is crying just seems really like pathetic. And not pathetic like No, bad, with a capital like, P. I get you. Too much pathos, right? Yeah. Uh, he goes to visit his dad in the house and they're arguing and the train's rumbling overhead. It just seems a little melodramatic to me. But at other moments, I think they really do that juxtaposition of the extreme racism and the, the Indiana Jones mystic stuff. They do it very well. There was the little text thing at the beginning of, I think, episode four, where it says something like, you know, beginning, oh, beginning of episode three, uh, this house in Chicago, a Negro family moved in in 1950 or whatever. They all went mysteriously missing. And it's great because you can read that two ways. You know, oh, they, they mysteriously disappeared. Something mystical happened. Or a bunch of racists came and killed them. Right. So, like, the text seemed very canny to me. Like, it could be read two different ways. So they're, they're drawing this link between magic and just, you know, I, we laugh at it because it's a cliche, but I think there's truth. The demons are, there are demons. Demons are real. They're fucking racists. And, and white, the and white devil. Institutional racism. I mean, not even white guys who are harassing and murdering black people, but just, you know, the, the feelings and thoughts that our society has en masse. Um, use of music's really good. They juxtapose um, old-fashioned African-American spirituals with flat-out, semi-cliche, but well-done horror imagery. Um, Speeches as well. Tracks, treatises, tracks of text, and things like yeah. that show up too. Uh, but personally, I've just never been that much into mystical stuff. I watched all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I liked it, but I wasn't crazy about it the way some of my best friends were. You know, that's just never been the flavor for me. I find myself more interested in the racism stuff. She's trying to set up a boarding house for black people while the white people in the neighborhood are, are trying to kick them out in some sometimes extremely violent ways. So I'm more interested in that. So I find myself distracted. Also, I compare this to other stuff I've seen. And the show that I most compare this to is Watchmen, the HBO show Watchmen. Yeah, because sure. Watchmen, again, very consciously juxtaposing, you know, less mystical magic, more like science fiction-y super heroics, which is more my, my thing, juxtaposing that with true racist violence or racial history of the 20th century. And I thought that was better done. Um, it was a little more original a little more unpredictable, um, but again, more in my wheelhouse. So, you know, this is well done. I did like it. I think I'm going to keep watching. Um, it's just kind of not for me. It feels a little heavy-handed. So, you know, maybe it'll grow into the best thing ever, but for now, it's 
Yeah, it's all right. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I, you know, ask, ask. It's. I think it's valid to ask how worth my opinion is here. I'm not a racial scholar, and obviously I haven't lived the African-American experience, but it just feels a little awkward to me. Interesting. Um, yeah. I have to say that I did, I, I, whether it's shameful or not shameful, I have to admit that I did not know what the concept of a sunset town was before I watched episode uh, one yeah. of this show. Um, I yeah. just, even though as I did some research. Sundown town, it's usually called. What's that? So sundown to right. Sundown sundown town. So I, I didn't realize this, but there were actually a few sundown towns on Long Island. I mean, up until yeah, short, short, right. probably shortly before, well, maybe up until the 60s or so. As as uh, much as we like to give ourselves some back padding credit in in the north, uh, there's still plenty of shitloads shitloads of racism in Suffolk County and Nassau County out on Long Island where I grew up. Um, they did they actively didn't let black people into Levittown for how long? Uh, I don't know about Levittown, but I knew that there was almost like anti-Hispanic types of sundown well, culture. Probably uh, more common now. Yeah, right, right, more common now. I mean, whether it was codified or not, it was like it was a town called Smithtown on Long Island had this sort of. Um, De facto, uh, yeah, de facto white supremacy about uh, Hispanics at the beginning when people started coming to Long Island in the late 80s and things like that. But um, I, the reason why I mention this is because I didn't know about the concept of Black Wall Street either until Watchmen showed it in the first 10 minutes of episode one of Watchmen, which aired about, I guess, a little over, a little, little under a year ago. Um, and... You know, the HBO shows are doing this heavy lifting a little bit. And part of what you talk about uh, of it being really uh, textual and over the top, I think that the showrunners and the network and the producers have this idea that they have to educate people first, that you, they need to um, go heavy on the idea that it's not just saying the word racism, but it's showing it in yeah. as clear uh, terms as possible, but also to couch it in storytelling that will get the message across. And again, Watchmen was great because that was really textual. Um, yeah. it, had, it had so much to do with racism, and it started off with a bang. that I remember Monday morning after watching Watchmen, people saying, what the hell was this? Like, what was this Black Wall Street concept in Oklahoma? This massacre? Yeah. All these things? And it's like everyone woke well, up the, to the same. The state of Oklahoma actively hid it for yeah. several decades. Right. Tulsa why made, most people don't know about it. Right. But that's like, but it, it was out there. Black people knew about it, but white people didn't. And, you know, just I'm sure that it was that fatigue of, of wondering, well, is this ever going to get out and having no hope that it would. So I understand why they go heavy on that, why they really emphasize the Jim Crow thing. And yeah, you know what? This is where I agree with you is that I do think the most interesting part of the show is the adventuring across the United States and what are what are your interactions with regular people? The show loses me a little bit when you get into the more mystical things because it feels less integrated. I say this word integrated, you know, lowercase i in quotes. It's not integration, but the idea that um, somewhere there's a version of storytelling uh you know, the fantastical kind of stuff that easily gets talked about in comic books and in pulp novels and, stuff. you know, where you have the fantastic next to the, the humdrum and it really marries well. And it's really difficult to do here uh, because the mystical stuff is so big. I mean, you're talking about squid monsters, you know, all those those classic Cthulhu things and the, the nameless ones and the, 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 the eternal sleep and all this stuff that's, you know, that's almost really hard to do just even on its own. And then to marry that with Jim Crow stuff and trying to put together how how frightened black people would be of a regular police officer, just a regular white shit kicker in 1954 or whatever, 
That's that's or fifty five. I forget what year it's set. I think it's fifty six. Fifty six. Okay. There was some reference that I like. I went to Wikipedia. Like you see some news broadcasts, and I went, "Oh, this must be fifty six. But it's possible they're being specifically vague, uh, uh, intentionally vague. But I mean, th- and they're this, just saying, "Ah, fifties. Yeah. This and he's a he's a returning uh, Korea vet. It was we didn't yes, really returning Korean. And, in fact, episode six is all about his experience in Korea, yeah, they, they, and that's where they elucidate. They foreshadow that. Yeah, they elucidate the the character of Jian, uh, who comes. I th- look first. She looks like a phantom, and then they explain who she is in episode six, and it's again very bewildering. It it is jerking the wheel hard to the right, considering what was coming beforehand, and it almost like stalls momentum of the of the narrative. But so you know, all these things taken in total, it's it's. I mean, it's really interesting, and it's really ambitious. And um, uh, I've heard from people who've read the book. They said that the book had less to do because it was episodic. It was almost like a short story collection. And to do a TV show like that is a little difficult now because we are so trained, especially HBO is part of the, the you know, they're part of the administration that chained, uh, trained us to do this, that we expect large textual uh, serial entertainment that spans, you know, 10 to 12 episodes. And, you know, the episode five is the midpoint, episode nine and or 12 is the, the sort of um, climax, episode 13 is the denouement, you know, it, the, the falling action, it comes back down again. And, you know, everything is on point and pointing and driving at one thing. Each episode of this almost feels like monster episodes from the X-Files, which were really enjoyable. But yeah. the, the X-Files, where it fell apart, was that it was trying to point at something bigger and it really fell apart. It didn't have anything bigger to point at, even though it was trying to convince us, no, 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 trust this, this is all coming together. And it kind of never came together, if you ask me. And um, I think that this show is having a little bit of a, um, a schizophrenic problem with nailing the individual episodes and then trying to put together a whole big thing. Because I'll, I'll be honest, after having watched six six of the current available nine with the 10th on its way tonight, I, I'm completely hazy about like I lost the track, I think, after the second episode. Yeah. The, really, the magic stuff is a little dense, and it doesn't help that these characters are superheroes. So when they figure stuff out, explain it to each other, yeah. it just the details go over my head at least. I mean, the yeah. one episode they go to an art museum, and then they wind up the the moon yeah. comes in the window, and they have to press on a yeah. panel, and they wind up in yeah. caves, and the water's filled up, and yeah. there's like a it's corpse. very that's very Indiana Jones. Yeah, it is, and it's like, but it doesn't. And they take an elevator back to Chicago yeah, somehow. Right, right. Left in Boston, and they end up. How did they get back to the kid? Ass. How did they get back to Chicago? And not the car. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some of that stuff I get. Like you can some you can just suspend disbelief, but on the other hand, it's really asking you to remember all these like it's magic. Bo- it's magic. It's magic. A wizard, magic a, is an answer to that because magic. A wizard did it. A wizard did it. Yeah, yeah magic. A wizard did it. Um, wizard. Magic is real. I mean, they go through that entire they go all through that trouble to find that weird, what was it, an Arawak Indian who was like yeah. desiccated and she she revivified. Yeah. He, she, it's, it's they actually, revivified they, you didn't sorry, hear the they. controversy. Didn't no, hear the controversy? I did. I did. They cast they cast a cisgendered they, actress to play. No, him. no, that wasn't the con. I didn't read that. Oh, what was I it? I cast that this character was a Native American two spirit person. Yes, okay. Which is this, for lack of a better term, type of transgender or non-binary. Yes. Type they, of people within several Native American cultures, and 
Sorry, spoiler alert, they kill her less than an episode, kill them, sorry, yes. less than an episode later. And people are like, why introduce this character, right. this type of person that has zero representation just to kill him off immediately afterwards? And, I don't, and, and I'll be honest, that cast a cisgender woman the, the presence of that knows. character is very confusing, and I still don't know what yes, the point I was I was afterwards. very confused. That's yes, what I'm saying. I, I, just, I feel like this stuff adding up to uh, you know a, a, a single whammo climax at the end of 10 episodes, it was like it lost the thread early. And a, a standalone, like you're saying, where this, where the, uh, what her name is, Wunmi, uh, Wunmi Musaku. She's an English actor from, I think she's from Manchester. Yes, uh, the uh, woman who plays Ruby. Yes, she plays um, a Journey Smollett's sister. Yeah, sister, half sister. Ruby is the character's name. Ruby. Yeah, like that. That's, Ruby it's, Baptiste. It's it's name. an amazing side quest, if you want to say, where she gets the ability to transition between white skin. Almost like she's wearing it as a guy, and, and it's, yeah. it has a clock on it, and it you know it sort of falls off in a hideous transformation, right. but it's still really two actors playing the same role. It's really yeah. enjoyable. It's a really good episode. It's great. It's really um, good. The woman who plays the white version of her looked super familiar. She was in, and I looked her up, and she's completely unfamiliar. She was in. Um, I, she was in the Deuce. She had a big part in the Deuce, and she was she's pretty good. I've never saw that. Now that's a nice thing about. The, I love what I love right. about HBO is HBO has this repertory of actors where they bring in the Michael K. Williams. They bring. Once you're in, chances are yeah. every two years or so you can be a minor supporting actor in all these series, and they were great actors. Then, and I'm the sure that's I'm sure that's a good way to be a working actor. Yeah, it's great. And, and also, you get you get buzzy things. You get to actually work on a decent show, which is you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think ultimately I agree with you. Where you have this thing that has all these dynamite pieces, great actors, really unusual directors have come in. Uh, was it Cheryl Dunye who who directed this movie in the early 90s, late 80s called Watermelon Woman, which is one of the only black queer feminist movies that kind of I've have ever I've heard of that. I've heard of that. I haven't seen it, but I mean it's it's you know, it's an un, it's a little known art house film. It's on the Criterion collection. But they brought her in to direct an episode. I mean it has you know, the episode has elements of what she did back in, you know, in in her you know, when she was a college or post-college student making her first movies. But I mean, now she's a working TV director. And it's like, that's why you bring in a queer, black, female director. Because those people don't usually get these jobs. And that's, you know, it does something different to the show when you have a different hand on the tiller. So those things, those things are great. Um, I'm really curious whether or not I finish off the last four episodes. I have so many other things to watch. And I honestly, I don't think that that stuff, because I've, I've, I have skimmed the Wikipedia entry trying to find out well, what, like, what, what does come down the pike? And it's like, these don't, like, who is that character? What was that thing? And I'm like, I don't know if it gets any easier, to be honest. I, I just, I don't think that it's going to, like, come together and clarify. I think it's only going to become more. They're going to they're add yeah, more. Yeah, but, but some people love that shit, man. Yeah. The more complicated, the better. And while I think it's a, it gets a little, you know, ahead of its skis, I, I think they do a decent job. Yeah, of, of course they do. You know, coming up with original plots, integrating the racism with the mysticism, the fa this thing of switching from a white woman to a black woman. Uh, you know, part of the reason that part one of the mystical things is because the main character Atticus has he's descended from the white overlord mystical guy because that guy raped his slave yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah so you know they they not always but they do these moments where they 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 smoothly you know work the racism into the mystical stuff yeah. that's when i think the show succeeds it's just a little awkward about it a few times too many in my opinion oh george the reason i'm back home my father he's gone missing why did this catch on? I heard people talking about this for a long time. 
And I believe I suggested it to you a few weeks ago as a topic, and you said, let's wait till the series, the season finale. Right. But it definitely has a buzz more than a show just gets flat out simply for being on HBO. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. So why? Why? Well, I mean, they've renewed it for a season two, I assume, right? Whether or not the season two happens, but nominally it's supposed to, right? I think so. Or am I wrong? I think so. I would assume. Well, I I think that this has a lot of thumb on the pulse messaging. Um, uh, It's a very of the now show, even if it's set in 1956 or whatever. And, you know, that's maybe that's part of the, the jagged thing where you talk about these actors don't necessarily look like they're from the 50s. You know, like it, it's telling you about today by t- setting the story in yesterday. Um, but I mean, the, you know, anytime you can drag in the horror of today without actually showing you video footage of George Floyd or something like that, um, it's instructive and it's also it, it's credible and it's worth doing. And then you can spin a big fiction about it, especially you can take a book that, a, a you know, an, a, an Anglo, a, a Caucasian author, and then you give the show over and have it pretty much created by African-American people afterwards is, is a great origin story. Um, I also don't want to understate the fact that they have very handsome, sexy people with a lot of nudity. And that is... Yes, that there's, some, part, there's, some hot, there's some hot sex man, it's like There's also some fucking disturbing sex There's some disturbing... Oh, the end of season six. Yes. Literally, I had to yell in terror and pain. I mean... <laughs> I'm not unhappy that happened to that character. No, but it's, less, it's hard but to watch. Wow, it's hard to that watch. was brutal. Yeah, right. It's, there's yeah. a lot of depict. I mean, there's a, like I said, there's, there's a lot of sexy sexing with with attractive sexy, nude boobs. Sexual sexy sexing. Right. I mean, they don't quite go the peen route, but there's 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 enough boobs in this that we love that. I mean, that's HBO's brand is doing something that has that has gory, violent, shocking stuff, great storytelling, high high class visuals, and you know, beautiful asses and boobs and and nakedy nude people and and stuff like that i am i am i am not gay but my god jonathan majors with a shirt off holy shit i mean that i don't know is put together he must just eat fucking brown rice and boiled chicken breast all day long and just bang out his his traps and his gloops and his floops and his freeps and whatever the hell muscle groups that this guy's got yeah he's got them all he's got muscles you haven't heard of before right he's got muscles they they don't have names for them they're unknowable they're the, the nameless ones um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, like I'm maybe I'm being general about it, but I do think that that there's a generality to um, all the all the things that make these HBO shows, uh, you know, like that would, people stop in their tracks and when they can watch them if they have access to, for instance, my password. It's the kind of thing that's going to drag people's attention. I'm not just saying that to you, no. It's like I gave it to a lot of people. Uh, hey, you didn't. You you offered it freely, my yes. friend. But I, I I do think that shows like this bear uh, watching. I think people who haven't seen it should watch it because you know again, it, it, what's the harm? You know, like the harm is you know maybe you learn something you didn't know before, and if you don't like the show, um, you know that's fine. You 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 know, but it's like this could be something buzzier. This could be something more important. Just because I think that anything that has this level of race messaging and gender messaging, I mean, this this is where we're going to see a lot of storytelling. It's already trending this way, and this is where big budget projects were a huge company like AT and T, which you know owns HBO. And granted, this might have already been in pre production before AT and T bought HBO, but still, it's like this is the power of a gigantic transnational company still allocating. Resources resources for things that are going to be of the moment and i mean they have to tell stories about gender they have to tell stories about race they have to tell stories about 
other thing, you know, financial insecurity, uh, uh, you know, body horror, whatever's, whatever's, whatever horrors are coming, environmental devastation. I hope HBO can continue to push the envelope and make this stuff into pop storytelling because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's um, fiction for the day that we live in. And I think that that's a good, a good answer as to why it's popular. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's timely. Also, despite my critiques, it's well made. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicky here. It's well made. And, yeah. And um, I think it's part of a wave, a trend. I mean, I mentioned Watchmen. I also also brings to mind Get Out. Um, what was the not the sequel? The other Jordan Peele movie, oh, which I never um, saw. What was it called? Uh, the the other ones are uh, yeah, uh, the Tunnel People. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I I kept meaning to see that. Sure. Uh, we're part of a trend here, which is black science fiction, black horror. There's probably there's got to be a better term for it. Uh, I started poking around reading about this, and I was reading about Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. which is something I'd heard about but never engaged with. This I don't think this really qualifies. Maybe moments of it, but like, it's kind of like going back to like uh, Parliament Funkadelic or even Black Panther comics, like the the combination of black or Af- African American or African themes with you know science fiction and futurism and technology. I mean, this is more the horror side of sci-fi the mystical side of sci-fi right yeah but it's like it's not just science fiction or horror made by black people it's science fiction or horror dealing with explicitly racial issues yeah and like i say the show's that it's best when it smoothly combines those things you know he's the 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 mystical guys want atticus because he has the blood of his white ancestor because his white ancestor raped his slave and blah 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 or you know the 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 mystical potion she goes from black woman to white woman and she sees the difference in the two lives that those women lead basically living in the same place so um yeah it's part of a trend which makes sense because science fiction at its best has always been and horror has always been a lens through which we look at real stuff and i've probably said this on the show before i'm a huge fan of george romero zombie movies but it always bothered me how people say oh they make such bold statements about consumerism and racism in 1960s america i always thought that was totally overblown i think it didn't make much of a statement i think people were reading into it too much uh credit to george romero but i just don't feel like that was at the top of his agenda and i think when he tried to put it at the top of his agenda with that movie with dennis hopper uh land of of the dead yeah i think he failed i think that movie sucked well, it had its moments, but I think it mostly sucked um, because I just don't think that's where this guy's skill is. But Jordan Peele in Get Out, certainly. I thought Get Out was brilliant. Um, uh, whatever his name was who made Watchmen and uh, the people who make this show do a better job of that. Not always perfect, but a better job of that. And this is what we're grappling with as a country. So it's not only entertaining, but useful and educational to to express this stuff to deal with the anxieties around this stuff to tell the story of this stuff in the wrapper of hey let's tell a scary story about monsters and magicians and maybe aliens and secret potions and things like that and indiana jones type swimming underwater to grab the sacred parchment you know i mean there's a lot of semi-cliche ideas here mixed with the uh important historical lessons so yeah it's 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 timely and well done. That's really all you need. Letty? What? Behind you, there's... There's... You okay? Get some water from the kitchen. I'll be back soon. No, tell me, would you have liked this if you were a younger version of yourself? 
I mean, it's impossible to answer. Probably not because I was never into the mystical stuff. And at least as a kid, being a kid when I was a kid or when I was younger, uh, I was always interested in American history, but I was less interested in racial history. Uh, I've gone on the record saying this, uh, what, at least personally in my brain, one of the most significant American historical events of my lifetime and changing my perspective on the United States was um, Trayvon Martin. Yeah. Because before Trayvon Martin, I literally thought that racism was on the wane, that racists were these swamp people who no one paid attention to anymore. Yes, it was a problem in decades past. I did not realize how much it was still out there. So I was naive about that. Also, I still, I look at this like that scene where the cops, I don't want to give too much away, the white woman accidentally bumps into a black boy on the street and the cops happen to show up at that sec and just at that second and with no hesitation, they just start brutalizing the black kid. You know, even after the white woman saying he didn't do anything, right? Yeah. Like, I still view that as over the top, but I can accept maybe I'm wrong. As a kid, I would have thought that was completely over the top, right? Um, so yeah, I didn't see that as either entertaining or important or engaging as much as I do now. So the race, the racial stuff would have turned me off a little. You combine that with the mystical stuff, which still doesn't really grab me, you know, four out of five times. And I just, I would have moved on to other stuff. Definitely. Hmm. You know, I, I think that the sheer spectacle of like the, the stuff that you're talking about that you, you don't really dig on the Dr. Strange bullshit of it. That stuff is, Especially if I was younger, uh, the sci-fi horror side of it. I think I watched pretty much anything that had a fantastic element to it. And, you know, in the late 80s, I mean, certainly there was sci-fi movies coming out. But the idea of doing like magical, mystical, weird horror shit. You know, Hellraiser came out in, I think it was 1987. That movie. And that was... That was mysticism. That was horror. It was, you know, the whole S&M thing part of it. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that that was, I didn't realize because it's sort of like pre-sexual to some degree. I was able to just engage with it as a horrific, you know, fantasy movie about, you know, the, the flesh being brutalized. That kind of thing is right up my alley because it felt transgressive. And I like that stuff. Before I even knew what Lovecraft was, I liked those concepts. The, the, the slumbering elder gods that live in some other dimension waiting for the right key to unlock their return. So, you know, uh, this this is where Bill Scurry is a very simple guy because you've, if you have that stuff affixed to really perky boobies, which HBO loves to do, I mean, that is just the absolute devilish mix of the kind of thing that I would just totally be into. And and to bring it back around to what you you know what you're saying about the racial thing, I don't think it's not that the 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 idea of it, it having a heavy hand or being instructive about it. It wouldn't have turned me off. I just think that it was almost like infrared. And even today, um, I understand that it's there, but the importance it's not it's today I'm definitely more tuned in for the same reasons you are. But I think when I was a kid, I just didn't have a sensory organ to pick up on it. It seemed like storytelling that was there for the purpose of moving the narrative along and less the idea that this is also designed to horrify the viewer. Uh, it, it would have been so far from my own Caucasian upbringing and, and I just wouldn't have understood that the real horror is going to be something different for other people watching this. And, and, and an audience would, a different audience would see something completely different in the text that I'm seeing. But, I mean, there's enough there. And I think that HBO, at, at their base, has to make a 9 p.m. show on Sunday night that's sexy, big budget, 
with boobies and butts and violence and high-class production value. So I think that it at least has those things, and that would have cleared the bar for young Bill Scurry. You think Marshall Fields hasn't hired you because you're colored? Of course I know that, and I'm willing to work harder than anybody else if that's what it's going to take. You know, if more colored folks thought like me, the race would be a lot further along. Bill, is uh, the existence or success of Lovecraft Country in any way a sign, yet another sign, of the impending apocalyptic end of the human experiment? No, it seems like the show is textually about the apocalypse, but no, I think on, on the contrary, um, I was actually trying to jog my memory and wonder whether any of these other huge entertainment conglomerates are spending a lot of money to tell stories like this, which, you know, are about the times we live in, not just escapism, but escapism with the idea that you see what's going on and it addresses the things that are impossible to ignore. So I think it's really fascinating. And it's again, maybe ahead of the curve. And this is only from my own small purview of of the things that I see, uh, especially being expat watching America from many, many miles away. Um, Creators of color getting a big remit from HBO, a lot of money to to do this jagged storytelling, you know, which and, and this is the important part. It doesn't exactly exalt race relations in America, not today and not about Jim Crow, you know. No. And, and, and you know, the, the, the hard the hard to engage with part of it is that it seems like so much of the pop canon still refuses to touch these things. Um, and this this is the fucked up part because of the world. You know, me and you live in the same world, even though we're like 10,000, 12,000 miles apart from each other. The idea that like people would still not make a show like this because it would still be regarded as controversial by and and, and that it's going to turn people off. Yeah, right. Like like mentioning these things would somehow that that a multinational entertainment company would somehow defer to the people who would be offended by yes. race that's the part yes. of it that's fucked up yeah. and well, so that's the thing is that they'll they'll show the president spouting the most blatant uh, disgusting racism day in and day out but they won't show something like this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so again, I mean, that's... I can imagine someone saying that. I'm not saying anyone is right now. I, one specific I mean, I, 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 yeah, but I, I do think the fact that this is, this is the, you know, we're still at the, the vanguard of this. Not that this is the first show of African-American culture, or at least, you know, something that is has a gigantic bullhorn for everybody, but it comes from, you know, certainly a very specific slant about American culture through the African-American eye. So I think that's, that's reparative, that's restorative uh, in terms of yeah. things. So no, not an apocalypse at all. Yeah, I basically agree. And while I criticize some of the heavy-handedness of the the, the racial material, uh, part of me recognizes that it might be necessary and better. You know, one of the, one of the things I find interesting is a lot of people now who are uncomfortable are too weak-willed and too snowflakey to deal with to talk about important issues. Um, you know, get your politics out of sports, you know, or Jesus think it's a, a capital crime to kneel in front of a flag. Yeah. That's the whole fucking point of a flag. Um, you know, the same, the idiots, the nerds out there on the internet who are like, get your politics out of my superheroes or, or don't talk about race with superheroes, which I find hilarious because, you know, X-Men originally were specifically about race. I mean, not specifically about race. That was the point was about race, but, you know, in the wrapper of something else. And especially from a personal point of view, I had my little rant before about don't make the thing not Jewish. I mean, the thing originally wasn't explicitly Jewish. But most American superheroes were created by Jews. Jack Kirby was Jewish. 
Stan Lee was Jewish. Uh, Siegel and Jerry Siegel, Siegel Joe Schuster were Jewish. Jewish. Bob Kane was Jewish. Bill Finger was Jewish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think Finger was. I know. Okay. Uh, Steve Ditko certainly wasn't. Yeah. And uh, Kane was, yes. So, you know, one of the interesting things, let's, let's give Superman as an example. Superman was basically a response to the Nazis. Siegel and Schuster were Jewish Americans seeing what was going on in Europe and said, well, let's take the Superman idea that is this Nazi tenet and turn it on its head and make him American. And no, they could not have made Superman explicitly Jewish. They couldn't have made Superman, you know, he grew up on the Lower East Side of New York in a, or he grew up in a shtetl or something, right? That he had to be a white farm boy because that's how you sell stuff in America. And the X-Men had to all be white guys and one white girl who still takes a back seat to all of them, you know, because that's how you, you sell entertainment in America, even though Kirby and Lee were, were Jews. Um, so it's telling and somewhat heartening that even if it's heavy handed, that they feel the license or maybe even the need to be heavy handed about this stuff, to make these characters black, to not make these characters square-jawed white guys with a subtext of racial issues the 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 racial issues are text and not subtext exactly so in many ways that's the opposite of the apocalypse and it's just it's forcing people to to grapple with these issues from the moment we've met i've been attracted to you and as your subordinate i would never allow my licentious ways to jeopardize your reputation with the company so Quitting is the only option. So I can finally fuck your brains out. Ultimately, Noah, is there anything that inspires jealousy uh, in Lovecraft Country and the work of Misha Green and the uh, creative staff? I wish I had Jonathan Majors' body. I wish I were an action <laughs> hero like uh, Atticus uh, Freeman and Letitia Lewis and, and even frickin'... Michael K. Williams is the old desiccated guy is able to like swim like a superhero underwater for 10 minutes. Also, no body fat just... on that guy, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's probably in pretty good shape in real life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm especially jealous now because as a kid, I could watch that stuff and dream, well, someday I'll start working out and maybe I will be a badass, you know, by the time I'm in my 20s. Well, that dream is over, friends. You know, I'm, I, I didn't get any better than this. So, you know, I'm in decent health compared to most Americans, but that's compared to most Americans. Compared to, you know, action movie heroes, I'm in terrible health. So, <laughs> and it, it ain't ever going to happen. That ship has sailed. So yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of, of, a little more jealous of like action heroes than I used to be. But what are you going to do? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm jealous of, I, I mentioned before, I used the term infrared, and I think that the show has... In addition to the big heavy-handed stuff, there's also a lot of infrared stuff, too. Um, kind of carrier wave frequency that is messaging that people will pick up that's not necessarily bashed over your head, but the stuff that's there is value-added if you can pick it up. And it's like they had drag queens from RuPaul playing like Billie Holiday and Dinah Washington, and stuff like that has been included in the show. And that's very sneaky, subtle stuff that's queer messaging. And, and again, definitely not for me. And, I, and there's more than just that, too. But the idea that, for instance, that one Arawak was, was that was a two-spirit. I mean, all that stuff was, I, you know, I saw something. I saw what looked like, you know, breasts and a penis 
on on essentially what was a you know female phenotype and i just took it as if it's like okay this is this is a uh, hermaphroditic person i don't even know what i would call it if we could still use that term anymore but it's like the next morning i was reading all these you know people were you know they were expounding upon it and, and talking about how for as much as they might have misgendered that character or misused it, there was still this big idea that people were were you know happy to see the inclusion of something and this kind. Of, you now that's not the kind of thing you'd ever seen in Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg wouldn't touch something like that, but it's like it showed up here. And again, it's not about me, but I wish I could pick this stuff. I wish I had an ear or a sort of antenna that saw all these little bits and pieces because these are it's rich, and it too is about today's world. And much the way, like I was saying before, that if this, if I watched something with a heavy racist storytelling bent like this has, when I was younger, I would have missed all but the biggest, most obvious stuff because it just would not have uh, moved the needle for me. I wouldn't have understood how ingrained it is into somebody's life because I, it's just so foreign from my own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about the Felonian scale to clean this out, Noah. Where do you think this thing falls? Oh, I don't know. You know, this is in that little, no, not really. I want to say it's in that little box of like, Shit, I think is pretty good, but I have no use for. But mm-hmm. I kind of like it. I mean, it's funny. I was very close to giving up after four episodes, just saying, "All right, I'm going to bed. I'm moving on." But I'm like, mm, I'm intrigued about the next episode because there's a cliffhanger at the end of number four, and I'm glad I did. I did watch the fifth because I the fifth was my favorite thus far, the one with the the switch from the black woman to the white woman. Um, so I'm pretty sure I'll keep going. You know, I might not finish it out, but at least one more episode. Um, so I don't, I don't want to put it in the box of shit I think is good, but I don't care about, but I'm not crazy about it. I'm not addicted. I'm not hooked. Yeah. So, you know, this is like bottom of the top third. How about that? Yeah. I, I proselytized this in the first three episodes and then I, I fell off. I had to catch up because it just, there wasn't that heat to keep watching it. And I mean, I think if I, if I've transmitted anything to the listening audience is that I, I found this show to be very confounding. For all the things that I like, it's pleasing, but it's also... It it is. It is. But if you get over the hump, it carries you along. And I don't know even after six episodes... Watchmen was Watchmen was even more confusing. But part of the reason I stuck with it is because I had so much investment in the original book. I, I I can only imagine if you went in if you went in you every know, single every I thought every single minute of Watchmen we didn't talk about it on the show but but I thought every no. single minute of Watchmen was just like edge of the seat type stuff I mean I don't I, know I was totally confused for like three episodes oh, even having like read right, the book right. even even and being a comic book guy an HBO storytelling yeah. guy yeah uh, so I mean I I I thought of a show like Black Mirror which had um, confounding moments in addition to like great trends of excellence some some real you know, like it, Black Mirror has become a brand today, even though we've only had we've had, you know, a bunch of seasons that have been up and down and mixed in different levels of quality. And, you know, we don't know when they're going to come. It's just all of a sudden there's like five new episodes on Netflix and and it's all over the place. But it's the same guy who's been producing right in the mall. This guy, Charlie Brooker. Um, the difference is, is that there's more um, Black Mirror to sort of shake out. And that is truly episodic. All the only thing that holds together from yeah. o- over the whole season is, is the tone. And the kind of world mm. that it's building, but each of these There's is some variance in tone among episodes. Right, My right, favorite right. episode is the lightest episode, the one with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. So uh, for a show like this, which has such a great heavy production value uh, and, you know, themes that I'm into, the, the confounding nature of the storytelling 
kind of puts me off. And so it, I, I'm inclined to look at a show like Black Mirror and say, well, this is where I would slot it. But it just doesn't have the batting average uh, of Black Mirror. You know, like, again, I've only seen six episodes. There's only nine available. So, you know, maybe after two seasons, this would say maybe this would really excel above other shows of its ilk. I mean, there are there are a few other shows of its ilk. But right now it doesn't punch with that. That's Sunday at nine slot. Um, you know, some of the greatest shows that we've ever, you know, me and you were both aficionados of, of, of Sopranos is the greatest show ever. And, you know, Sopranos. The Wire it's, is incredible. It might be the greatest TV it show might have, ever. I, I, yeah. I could say that confidently, you know, and the things like The, the Wire and, and, and Deadwood and all those shows I, I really, really love. And Watchmen, I think, is a great, uh, you know, 10 episodes of that. It's just absolutely fantastic. Um, so this isn't quite at that level of the Sunday at nine, but I mean, I'm glad it's here. So, you know, I do think of like Black Mirror in terms of the, the pantheon of things we've talked about. But again, it can't quite get there just because we don't have as no. much of it to compare it to. No, and it's as much as there's a lot going on here, Black Mirror, partly because it's an anthology, just feels like a richer tapestry to my yeah, mind. Yeah, there's more voices and it gets to be varied. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's but what they're trying to do. I mean, Black Mirror episodes are making all sorts of different statements. Whereas this is this is in the racism wheelhouse. Every statement it makes has something to do with racism, which is a very broad canvas to to deal, to paint on. But you know, Black Mirror handled a lot of other time. Well, they're all about technology, I guess, right? Yeah, kind that's of. the whole point. Black Mirror is like your phone. Yeah, looking at it, it's a Black Mirror kind right. of thing. Yeah, all right. Well, Noah, it looks like we're finished with our that's it. 150th se- anniversary, our sesquicentennial episode. How do we do this? Episode. How do we do this? How do we do it? I hope you start pulling your weight with the behind-the-scenes work now that we're in the next one. <laughs> For the next 2050, when, when we reach uh, 2078, we will uh, right, have more parody. If you guys want to find any one of the 319 episodes we've already done... Look on 149. Your math skills are way off. You know what? It's the new math. I was a public school graduate, so (laughs) what do you want me to do? New math 149 equals 319. 319. So those those are all on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Apple I do this every single time. Do that every week. Every week. What am I infixing now? Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us, Noah and Bill Show, at Noah and Bill Show, rather. Write to us, Noah and Bill Don't Get It, at gmail.com. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how people find podcasts. I am on Twitter, at William Scurry. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. Tell me something, because I need your love tonight. Uh, I am on YouTube, youtube.com slash amcaesar, and I'm dropping a bunch more of my video uh, essay series about film topics, American Caesar Salad. Five more are coming at the end of the month, so watch out for that. I'll plug those until then. Nobody cares anyway. It's all a movie nerd thing. Anyway, Noah will tell you about himself right now. Uh, BigQuizThing.com, the finest in corporate and private trivia events, occasional public trivia events from coast to coast, nationwide, even beyond. Uh, we're very close to booking an event for a, a, uh, a staff event in Dublin, Ireland. That'll be fun. Um, and, but it's all virtual these days. And, although we just booked an in-person event for February 1st. How about that? But you're, so you, you're, think, you think it'll happen? You're sending the Noah hologram to Ireland in your stead, right? No, no. not The in-person event is not the Dublin one. Oh. Uh, but no, we're, we, we've done one in-person event since April. Was we that, did an outdoor event outdoors, in July. You said so, yeah. Right. So we got an event indoors scheduled for February 1st. I don't remember where it is. So uh, what's the over-under on whether it'll actually happen? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, good question. But virtual events are a lot of fun, and they're going really well. So uh, learn about how you can bring the BQT to your own fundraiser, your own corporate event, your own private party, etc. BigQuizThing.com. Thank you. So until next time, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2020.